Um, how many of you made it through without getting injured? <laughs> yeah, not me. I, uh, if you go to shake my hand this morning, uh, it's just going to be a paw. So uh, instead, I might not shake your hand. It's not because I don't like you. Um, I, I was... I pulled up a floorboard and a nail went into my hand and I got a tetanus shot and all kinds of goofy stuff and my hands, I'm kind of gimpy today. So uh, I was told by one of the guys from DJ, why don't you stick to preaching and we'll stick to construction. <laughs> and I said, all right, I'll, I can handle that. So, hey, listen, Merry Christmas while we see you. I'm glad you're here this morning. Here's a picture of everything that was accomplished down at the kid's end just in uh, two short half days, really, Friday evening, Monday, Saturday morning. And uh, if you want to go check that out, feel free to after the service. Just uh, there's still some debris here and there, so watch out so you don't end up like me, uh, stepping on a nail or something, but you're free to go check things out. Um, Hey, next Sunday, today's still a little chaotic with some of the construction, but just so you know, next Sunday when you come in, uh, we'll be coming through. I told you last Sunday, and I was wrong, evidently. But next Sunday, for sure, we'll be coming in those new doors. And uh, so you'll be able to, you won't be able to drive on the new concrete yet. That has to cure a little longer, and that's why we're not coming through there yet today. Um, but uh, you won't have to go through the nursery. But by the way, have you noticed uh, just all the work that happens in our nursery? Maybe you don't get a chance to ever see that. So uh, if you're ever interested in volunteering for that, we would love to have your help. And um, you can, you get to see the, in the fishbowl of the nursery today as you walk by. Uh, Grace team, thank you. I want to thank them. Yeah. Now, so are all of you guys studying worship arts? Not everybody? So a bunch, most of you though, right? Either way, uh, we're thankful for you. And if you get the opportunity today, be sure to thank them personally. And uh, you can uh, encourage them, even as uh, some of them end up heading into ministry, Lord willing. And uh, I know they would appreciate, a little encouragement can go a long way. So be sure to thank them personally this morning. A couple things, Kirk mentioned these, but coming up for Christmas, it is Christmas season. Can you believe it? That's hard to believe. And coming up for Christmas, one of the things Kirk mentioned, we're going to do a little different this year. It's just a new service. Some of you saw an email that went out, and uh, we don't really have a title for it yet other than like a holiday Christmas or a blue Christmas. And uh, on Wednesday, November, or December 19th, uh, we're going to have a short service here that evening for anybody who maybe, maybe you're going through the holidays for the first time without someone. Or uh, maybe for you that was years ago, and, and it's still just really hard. And, you know, sometimes I think of the holidays, uh, if you've experienced loss like that, it can be painful, it can be hard. And uh, if you haven't, or even if you have, when you see others who have, you don't maybe know what to say because you don't know what to say and you don't want to say anything because you don't want to bring up hurt. And uh, it's just a a time to get together and acknowledge that. And so we're going to sing some carols. There'll be an opportunity for you to recognize your loved one with an ornament on the tree. And uh, it'll be uh, fairly informal but you're, you're invited to either come and be a part of that or come and encourage and care for those who are part of that on Wednesday, December 19th at 7 p.m., okay? So, uh, and then, of course, Christmas Eve, uh, we'll have a service, and it's Christmas again. Are you excited? Yeah, me too. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God gave his son. He gave Jesus Christ to us. You know, sometimes we, we hear, oh, Christmas, oh, it's, it's not all about giving. It's not all about gifts, you know, and kind of the grumpy old 
old guy who's just, oh, it's not about giving gifts. It's about Jesus. Well, it is about gifts because Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift. God so loved the world that he, what's the word? Gave, that he gave Jesus Christ. And so this year, we're going to look at a handful of passages in the New Testament letters as we go through Advent together, looking at this gift of Jesus, looking at who he is, at what he accomplished. And we're going to begin this morning in Galatians chapter 4. Now, I should have, you know, some kind of clever, funny story or a joke or something to engage you and get you going, but I've got nothing today. I've got nothing. You okay with that? So we're going to dive right in. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to pray, and then we're going to unpack it. Let me read with you from Galatians chapter 4. Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let me pray in one packet. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, coming, putting on flesh, living the life that we could not, dying the death that you should not have, uh, so that we could become like you and uh, be redeemed and be restored into all that you would have us be. Thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would uh, you'd teach us. I pray that you would work through me and teach me even as I teach and preach. And I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. Uh, he would love to, uh, to focus uh, our attention, Jesus, not on you during this season, but on ourselves. But instead, would you turn our sights toward Christ, towards all that he's done for us. Help us to understand it fully and to receive the good gift that you give us in Jesus. We pray all of this, Lord, through him. Amen. In Galatians chapter one, or chapter four, excuse me, starting uh, in verses one through seven, Paul makes a, a, a pretty significant point where he says that we, you and I, anybody on this earth who hasn't yet trusted Jesus or who has really trusted Jesus, we were slaves. We were slaves. Now, what exactly does he mean by that? See, he, he says... Um, that we were slaves, that's who we were. And he begins by using this illustration of a child, of a boy, uh, who was an heir, an owner of everything, but he didn't yet have control over over it. He says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. See, we were slaves, very similar to, he he describes us like children, the way children were. Imagine a boy who's uh, received a great inheritance, and he's received this great inheritance, but he's not yet old enough to take, you know, total possession of it. He's not old enough to control it or do anything with it. He's still under guardians and trustees. He's still under discipline and under authority and 
He, he really was no better off, Paul says, than a slave in that day, under guardians and managers. Now, I think it's just worth pointing out as we, as we talk about this this morning, that a lot of times we tend to read our own experience and our own prep presuppositions back into God's word, right? Especially one, one big case is with this word slave. Now, uh, when he's talking about slaves, he's talking really the word in Greek is doulos. It means bond servant. It's different than American slavery. American slavery after the, before the civil war was wickedness. Okay. It, it was, it was absolutely, it, it was wrong and, and it's not to be practiced not to be uh, returned to in any way, shape, or form. Uh, however, when, when Paul's talking about this, there were some differences in ancient times of Roman uh, slavery or Roman bond servanthood where um, slaves were generally permitted in that day to work for pay and to save enough to buy and purchase their freedom. In Paul's time, it was very different than it was in, first, in uh, pre-Civil War America. First century slavery was not wholly based on race. It, was not, uh, it did not always involve oppression. Now, sometimes it did. There were still wicked people who had slaves and, and people who worked for them. But uh, it often had temporal limits, functioning like a credit system. And you can see some examples of that in Colossians 4 and Ephesians 6. And uh, as a slave then, they were, they were under managers and under guardians. And Paul is saying that a child who's an heir, he's really no better off than a slave because he doesn't have full possession of anything yet. He's still under guardians, those who would care for him as a child. And he's still uh, under trustees or managers, those who care for the estate. And then he goes on. He says... Um, he says, this is until the date set by his father. Paul uses an example here from Roman law and custom. And in ancient times in Rome, there was this coming of age of a son and it carried tremendous significance. Now, it didn't occur at a specific age in Greco-Roman culture like it did in Hebrew culture, but it was actually a time that was appointed by the father. In Rome, this was usually marked on March 17th by a family celebration known as the Liberalia. And there was a big celebration, and the father set the date, whenever that was, and he handed over everything to his son. And it all then became his. But Paul pointed out that while he was still a minor, before he passed through this coming of age, he was really no better off than a slave. And he goes on in verse three and he says, in the same way, that's us, in the same way were we also. Paul's saying there's something to learn from this analogy and how we were spiritually. In other words, we were slaves. That's who we were. When we were children, he says, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved. See, Slaves in ancient Rome, they were enslaved. They could work for their freedom. They could uh, earn it in some way, shape, or form. They could save enough, pay for it. But our slavery, our slavery to sin and to the law, we can never earn enough to pay for it. There's some differences there, isn't there? And so like a child, we actually need the father to appoint a time to rescue us, to, to give us that full inheritance. That's what he's saying. He's using that illustration. The elementary, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It's not clear exactly what Paul's talking about here. Um, but no matter the view you land on, and I'm not going to take the time to, to go through each of them, we can summarize that Paul's just saying he's referring to any experience religiously or spiritually before 
coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, before you trusted Jesus Christ, friends, you were enslaved. You were enslaved to sin. You were enslaved to uh, the elementary principles of this world to where there's nothing you could do. It wasn't like a slave in those days where you could somehow earn enough to get your freedom. You, you, listen, the, the price on your head for your sin was so high, you could never do that. You were enslaved. You were enslaved uh, to the law, to spiritual forces, to sin. Uh, you were enslaved to death. Do you know in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Friends, apart from Jesus Christ, you have, in other words, no hope. You're enslaved. You're doomed. You're under God's wrath. You're, you're facing a future of, of, of punishment, of God's wrath for your sin. And there's no way for you to earn your way or get your way or weasel your way out of it. See, uh, Colossians 2, he also says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. The, the sum of the matter is this, that, that apart from Jesus Christ, we're enslaved. And what we need at Christmas is Jesus to be sent to come and to free us from sin. You can never free yourself. Do you get it? Never. The price is, it's, it's astronomical. It's way too high. The price is perfection. And once you sin, there's no going back. But Jesus Christ, see, the, the great news at Christmas, guys, is that we were slaves, but God sent Jesus to free us. That's what Christmas is all about. God sent his son, he sent Jesus Christ, who came, put on flesh, lived the life we couldn't, died the death we should have, so that we could be freed from our enslavement. Isn't that good news? That's great news. See, being a Christian isn't about just coming to church or celebrating Christmas or being born in America. No. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know? I mean, I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. My chalupa illustration. If you go to Taco Bell, you eat enough chalupas, you might look like a chalupa and smell like a chalupa, but you're not a chalupa. You can come to church and you can come long enough and sit in the right pew and do the right things and go through the right motions, but that doesn't make you a Christian. The thing that makes you a Christian is when you trust Jesus Christ. Simply putting your faith in him. We're going to talk more about that. See, because at the right time, God sent Jesus to free us. At the right time. That's what Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time here is a time that was set out by God in advance in his sovereignty. In other words, it was his perfect plan of how everything was going to play out. Like the, the, the Roman child who was an heir, his father set the date at the time in which he would receive his inheritance. In the same way, Paul says, uh, God the Father, when the fullness of time had come, at the right time, he appoints a time and he sends Jesus to us to give us our inheritance. It was at the perfect time in his sovereignty. We saw in Ephesians 3 a few weeks ago, right, that God makes everything beautiful when? In its time. He's in control. He's sovereign over all. See, uh, Paul talks about it to Timothy. He says, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all at the proper time. And in Romans, he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
See, we were slaves, but God sent Christ to free us. You were slaves while you were still a sinner, while you were still a slave to sin. God, in his sovereignty, sent Jesus Christ to live the life you couldn't, die the death you should have, so that you can be redeemed. Isn't that good news? Am I repeating myself enough yet? I want you to get this. It's the truth. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He shows his love for us, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Father picked in his sovereignty the right time to make us full heirs. And at the right time, Jesus was sent. When the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4 says, God sent forth his son. That's Christmas. When the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. This is huge. This idea of God sending Jesus Christ. This is an incredible, incredible truth because God in his sovereignty takes action. We could have never, no matter how long and how many opportunities we were given, we would never be able to earn our redemption. But God at the right time takes action and he sends his son. Sent implies too, by the way, have you thought about this? If God sent Jesus, that implies that he already was somewhere before he was sent. Have you considered that? For me, I grew up in, in church. I memorized all kinds of creeds and different things and went to these classes, you know, every Thursday night for eight years. And I learned all this stuff and it blew my mind when I finally became a Christian and realized that Jesus is eternal. That he didn't come into existence at Christmas. He's eternal. He's a member of the Trinity. He's fully God. Just like the Father is God. Just like the Spirit is God. Jesus is God. He's equal in every respect to God the Father and God the Spirit. In fact, John, in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel of John, says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. So in Genesis 1, who was there? Jesus was. Paul tells us in Colossians that it's actually Jesus is the one who, in through whom, we're going to see it next Sunday, all things were created in Colossians chapter 1. He was active in creation. He was there in the beginning. He shows up multiple times in the Old Testament. And then at Christmas, he puts on flesh. The word, verse 14 of John chapter 1, became flesh. Jesus isn't a man who became God like every other religion might teach. Jesus is God who became a man. He put on flesh. The incarnation, he's incarnate, like carne asada, right? With meat on his bones, real life. There he is. That's Jesus Christ. He's God who put on flesh. So being sent means he was somewhere else. He was active as a part of the Trinity, but then he puts on flesh. And he sent means he sent on a mission. I wonder what that mission could be. Well, John chapter 3 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's his mission. How's he going to do this? At the right time, Jesus was sent to become like us. He put on flesh to become like us. Now wrap your mind around this truth. It was, when I was a boy, I loved to play Legos. I've kept some of them and now they're passed on and Charlie loves to play Legos. 
And he creates all these little worlds and his imagination is just kind of taking off and he has rockets and he's flying them around and little rocket men inside the rockets that we've built out of Legos. And, and he tells you stories about where they're going. And he's, you know, we've, we've watched like space shuttle videos on YouTube. And so like the, the, the piece like breaks off and falls away into the ocean, you know, the rocket booster. And he's just, he's all about it. He's just like in this world. But imagine if he, as the creator of this universe, he could step down into it and actually climb into his rocket ship, like the Lego movie, right? In, in essence, that's what Jesus does. He's the creator of everything, and he puts on flesh, and he steps down, really, as the ultimate cross-cultural missionary into our world to bring us good news. He goes from perfection to this mess, and he says, hey, I love you. In fact, I created you, and I'm here to redeem you. He's sent on a mission. That's what happens at Christmas. He was sent to become like us. See, that's what Paul says here in Galatians 4. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He was totally, in every aspect, in every respect, human. A lot of times we think, well, of course Jesus lived a sin sinless life, right? Because he's God. Like, I, I, can, I can never live like he did, but here's the deal. Jesus... When, when he puts on flesh, he steps into his creation, he steps into this earth, he puts on flesh, and he lives, I would argue, fully in his humanity. Born of a woman, Paul's, Paul's cluing us in here, he was just like you and me. And not only that, he was born under the law, it says right after that, right? So in coming, as fully as a man, he was born under the law, he took on all the responsibilities that you and I have before God, he took them on himself, and so here he is, this perfect man, completely human, and he lives this life uh, totally under the same law that, that we were under, only Jesus being fully human, fully God, he veils his deity, and he lives fully out of his humanity, so that when he dies on the cross, he's a perfect sacrifice and a perfect substitute for us. All the miracles Jesus did, it's like he never pulled out his God card and said, here, I got this one. He lived everything by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. He was fully man, born of a woman, under the law. The difference is, as opposed to us, he succeeded. He didn't sin. Here's the deal. In order to save us, Jesus becomes like us in every respect, but he doesn't sin. Hebrews chapter 2, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That means to take the punch of God's wrath for sin of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is sent on a mission to become like us. Why? So that we could become like him. To save us. To redeem us. To make us like him. To be conformed into his image. See, Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. To deal with our slavery to sin. To restore our identity. Let me see if I can explain how this all plays out. Here's... Jesus. Jesus comes, he puts on flesh, 
He puts on flesh, and in putting on flesh, he lives fully as a man, fully as a human, and lives a perfect life, never sins, yet he pays the penalty for sin on the cross, doesn't he, 30 years later? In his dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin, what Jesus is doing is, as the writer of Hebrews said, he's the propitiation for our sin. He takes the punch of God's wrath, in a sense, and he's, he atones, makes atonement for our sin. He satisfies the Father's wrath for sin. And then the Father does something pretty incredible at the same time. is Because of Jesus' work on the cross for us, in our behalf, as a perfect substitute, the Father declares you and I, anyone who would believe, righteous. He doesn't say, hey, earn it. Do enough good things to be righteous. He declares you righteous. That's justification. And then there's you. And the Spirit works on you. Now, how, how, how much of this so far has been your doing? Jesus living a perfect life, dying on the cross, the Father uh, declaring you righteous, declaring your salvation. How much did you do? Zero. How much did God do? All of it. You have one responsibility. And I believe even that is a work of the Spirit in you that you simply believe or put your faith in Jesus. And then he redeems you. He frees you from your sin. Not just positionally through his atonement and justification, but, but through redemption, he actually lets you experience freedom. It's pretty remarkable. That justification part, um, we see it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. See, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the right time, Jesus was sent to become like us so that we could become like him. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is about. And he's given as a gift to you and to me. See, we were slaves before he came. But God sent Jesus to free us. But not just to free us, to adopt us to be family. That's the rest of what what Paul says here in Galatians 4. See, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you know, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into God's family. You are fully and truly one of his sons or daughters. Fully and truly. He he says that that you can call him Abba, Father. Do you know what that word Abba means? The closest thing we have to translate it in English is like Dada or Papa. It's like this tender term of endearment for your dad. And I I don't know. I I don't know anybody else who walks around talking to someone who isn't their father in in those tender terms, right? That's just weird. You're fully his son. You're fully his daughter to be able to call him that so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, whether you feel it or not, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're his son, you're his daughter, you're his. You know, it's your identity, You've become new, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think, in fact, that most of the issues we all deal with 
or that even sometimes we get counseling for, or whatever else, our, our addiction to sin or whatever. It's all an identity issue and forgetting the fact that you're truly a son, that you're truly a daughter of God. And we have this propensity to forget it or ignore it. And we need to be reminded who we are in Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul kind of does here at the end of this first part of Galatians 4. He says that Jesus did this. He, he was sent and became like you so that you could become like him, so that you could be adopted as a child of God. And he says it in other places, too. He says in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 that we're adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. I wonder, I know some of you, you've adopted kids. Maybe some of you even were or are adopted. I had two cousins. I have two cousins, I should say, who are adopted. They're from Korea originally, Megan and Brandon. And in every respect, they're part of our family. There's nothing different about them other than uh, where they were born and the way that they look. But they have full rights as part of our family. I've always considered them cousins in every way, shape, and form. I've never thought of them as different in any way. They've never been treated as different in any way. They're loved and cared for as a part of the family. Why? Because legally and relationally in every respect they are. They are. I mean, one time I had a, I think I had a picture that I was tagged in with Megan on Facebook a few years ago. And they're like, Josh, who's that? I'm like, that's my cousin. And I got kind of a look like that. But, but it's true, right? If you're adopted, you're fully a child now. You're fully part of the family. And Paul goes on, he says, because you are sons, God sent, his, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. See, Jesus subjectively gives us that legal standing before the Father. The Spirit subjectively helps us experience what that's like as one of his children. Crying, Abba, Father, it's, it's, it's that relationship piece. That's the evidence of who you are. And, you know, before Jesus shows up, not many people referred to God, if ever, as Father. And he was looked on like, just, that's strange. Why would you call your God dad? I mean, if you're going to go in the presence of Almighty God, you ought to like prepare a speech, shouldn't you? And you ought to be really prepared and, and really formal and really uh, buttoned down of what you're going to say and how you're, you can't just call him dad. But think about it. You are a child of his. You can just call him dad and father. How many of you would go to your dad I hope this doesn't happen in your family. And in order to speak to him, you have to set an appointment and prepare a speech, well-written, and deliver it to him. Anybody have that experience with their kids or with your parents? I hope not. No, it's more like, hey, Dad! And it's just at the randomest times, isn't it? You can call out to your father as his child at any time, relationally. See, he says uh, in, the, in verse 7, then, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. Now, something really cool happens in verse 7 that you can't see in our English language. Up until this point, every time Paul says you, he's saying it in a plural sense. In many languages, there's different, different versions of a plural you and a singular you, like who you are, right? You plural, like all of you, or you as an individual, in verse 7, Paul switches from plural to individual, to singular. 
And in verse 7, before he said, all of you are sons, now he says in verse 7, so you, I, I could just call out everybody's name here, right? You, individually, you are no longer a slave, but a son. The promise becomes not just corporate, but personal. It's a personal promise to you as an individual. Why does this matter? Well, then you can be sure of who you are. You can be sure of it. You're no longer a slave, but a son. You're truly a son, truly a daughter. And you have true and full family privileges. Now, up to this point, you're, you're reading the text maybe, and you're going, Josh, okay, I see, I see son. I see sons. I don't see sons and daughters. Yet you keep saying sons and daughters. Are you, are you just reading that into the text, or what's going on? Like, what's happening here? Why does Paul only say sons, not sons and daughters? Well, do you know Why? Because of this family privilege piece. See, if you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're part of the family, you know, you get certain privileges, don't you? You can just go take something from the fridge whenever you like. You can, uh, you, you know, you can fill in the blank. You have certain privileges as being part of a family. Well, it's no different with God's family, except that when Paul's writing this, in those days, uh, the one who received the inheritance was never the daughter. It was always the son. And so Paul says, you, all of you, are sons. What's he saying? He's saying that all of you, male or female, receive the inheritance from Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what's been done to you, what you've done. It doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus and what he has done. And if you put your faith in him, you have the full legal standing of a son, and you then are an heir. So he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You're an heir to an inheritance. See, before Jesus Christ, you were a slave. You were like the boy who had this big inheritance, but, but uh, it was there, it was waiting for you, but you couldn't do anything to take it on your own. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't redeem yourself from it. But the father had to set a date in order to give it to you. And he does that when he sends Jesus Christ at Christmas. And now uh, in, in becoming a son, now you're adopted into his family. It's all yours. And if you're a son, you're an heir. You're part of his family. It's all yours. Friends, that's the truth of Christmas. We were slaves. But at the right time, God sent Jesus to free us and adopt us as part of his family. Never forget that. As we celebrate Christmas together, we're going to look more at who Jesus is over the next few weeks. Um, but know that he's a gift given for you so that you would become a part of God's family. Amen? Let me pray. Uh, we're going to sing, and we're going to call it a morning. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross in our behalf. Um, Lord, we know... Uh, that we were slaves. Anyone here, Jesus, who's put their trust in you knows, uh, looking back, the futility of life lived apart from you, knowing that apart from you, uh, we have no hope, knowing apart from you, we're in, in bondage and we're, we're stuck. Uh, yet, Jesus, at the right time, you came to redeem us, to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we should have to become like us so that we'd become like you and be adopted into your family. Father, I pray for anybody who's hearing that this morning who maybe has never trusted you. 
They've gone through all the motions. They've even celebrated Christmas. And, uh, but they've never put their trust and faith in you. Friends, if that's you, it's very simple. It's simply acknowledging in your heart that you need a savior, that you're enslaved, that you need freedom. And turning to Jesus, recognizing that he alone is sent to save you and redeem you. And Romans tells us that if you would believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I'd commend that to you this morning. Father, for the rest of us, would you remind us of who we are? that we're sons and daughters with a full inheritance and help us to experience and live in that freedom, no longer slaves, but your children.